obviously you're watching American news and things like that. Can I ask, like, what are you seeing from sure. your end? Yeah, I mean, I'm so for me, I'm I'm quite tapped into Twitter because that's where I tweet about astrology. That's my main Twitter account at sj anderson one four four. People can follow me there. It's pretty big. Say say that again slowly. It's okay. It's at sj anderson, and that's a n d e r s o n one four four at sj anderson one four four, and you know I've had that Twitter account for several years now um and but i exclusively tweet about astrology i mean that's that's the community that i'm involved with there and that's what i engage in now there there is a lot of overlap in that community with politics and in particular like you know the progress what might be termed progressive politics even radical politics it's kind of you know the astrology world's quite um because it's an out there uh, practice it's a marginal practice it's a mar- it's a marginalized community, and so, you know, there's a lot of LGBTQ trans, um, you know, and certainly a, 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 a you know, black movement or black astrologer movement. And so, because I say all that just because, yeah, I mean, uh, my timeline has blown up with all of the you know the events as it's been happening because of the people that I follow. So I'm, I feel like I feel like I'm probably pretty cued in, at least to the media environment, about what's going on. Um, you know, but I, I think it's a good distinction to make that the media environment is is not the same as boots on the ground, you know. And I'm sure, like, I'd be curious to see, like, what your city, because I, I know the bigger cities have appeared to have just exploded. Um, but I'm not sure how widespread it is. And so let me just say one more one more thing so what's my what am i seeing yeah i mean i'm seeing total chaos and uh, it's like it's like all of the moments that were popularized in my youth and in my education things like the watts riots even rodney king i was alive during the the king riots and i remember that watching that on tv i mean this is like all of those combined and then maybe even bigger is what it appears to me because it's every city it's like every day there's like 10 or 20 or 30 videos and incidents and then i just went to another site or drudge i you know i don't really like going to drudge but sometimes i can tap right in and to what's happening and there's like i guess a lot of people that have been killed protesters cops i mean it's like so this seems to be like a level of 10 or a factor of a 10 or 100 greater than maybe anything we've ever heard about or seen that's my perception from georgia from batumi georgia so uh, what about you, Alan? How is it? How is it in Richmond? I guess you're. Uh, so how do I jump on this call? We've got him. Oh uh, yeah. I have literally added him. I mean, I've. Hey. Okay, that works. Cool. That works. Oh, how, how long have you guys been on the call? Few few minutes. Just a few okay. minutes. Cool, cool. Yeah, I, it's, that's my fault. I I totally uh, overslept, and then. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've I just stayed up all night. I I uh, this just been just been working on this video. Um, oh, so that's not the complete finished product. Uh, as I think I sh- told you, it was it's pretty damn close to the finished product, but it's okay. I mean, like, I... Bas- basically, um, Zach Zach Bauer was doing some audio cleanup. JJ is doing some video, uh, like he's gonna add some stuff to it. Um. But I'll probably have it released later to 
today, I would think. Um, okay, I was just going to let you know that I realized that that video, though, was removed from uh, Vimeo. It is somewhere on my, on my Facebook. So I could actually find a Facebook link if you wanted to download it or whatever. I don't know. Or it, I don't think it matters. I saw it. I watched it. I was, I was So, Alan, like, I wait. This sounds silly, but, like, I wait for South Park to come out. Because it's such like a comfort thing to have somebody just like take all these things that people are are going around with and getting all neurotic around and just have some like relative sense get you know like have things explained to people. I'm like, thank you for being a voice of reason, and even though it's a simplified take on things usually, but like it's this comfort thing. And last night watching your video, I got like that sensation uh, amplified by like ten thousand. So, like, watching that was, like, the, it felt like a voice of reason in the midst of so much craziness and that you were dealing with this really complex issue. I felt like the, the writing and delivery of that was was phenomenal. I loved it. Th- thank you. Thank you very much. I, uh, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, uh, I really appreciate that. I feel like that's um, – it's funny because, the, I mean, the, the topic is sort of – changing like right now like you know it, it's funny the, the video starts like the topic of the day is coronavirus and it's like well okay that's no more the topic of the day but i think that it still uh, hopefully applies oh oh that applies i think i mean the intensity of the coronavirus experience i don't think that's going to be forgotten maybe, maybe i'm wrong maybe like there'll be a caldera that explodes or something and everything will be dwarfed but you know, I mean, I think that that intensity is something that will leave an impact and that I think, you know, that video certainly will become relevant and remain relevant. For, you know, I don't I guess what I'm saying is I don't see the covid lockdowns going away anytime soon in terms of its importance to the collective psyche. Right. And, uh, you know, we we're, you're starting to talk about what's going on, you know, um, just like politically uh, with all these protests. And it's like the fact that people have spent two months locked up, you know, pent up uh, prior to this, I'm sure plays a factor here, uh, undoubtedly. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, I just want to um, echo David's uh, commentary there. I know you've got, you've had my emails, Alan, and, and, but I mean, yeah, it's really wonder, a wonderful job and uh, balancing all of the, I felt really, like he said, I felt like in good hands and you're like, all right, here's this response, this response, this response. You just list them and then you kind of wrap it up and you say, OK, and then you kind of you address it. But that you and so it's not like you're overlooking it, but then you kind of move us into this whole other realm with the, with it all. And I I was thinking earlier about time wave zero. It was nice to just get a little bit of an education uh, about that again. I mean, I'm familiar with the theory, but it was cool that you gave everybody a background, sort of a reeducation on that particular point and i haven't seen beyond what you sent me but i'm really excited to check out when you release it man it's like i'm jonesing for it i was thinking when i saw it like i stopped everything i was just entranced and then wow. and you told me it was only about halfway and i was like shit man you're gonna do that to me you know <laughs> give me more alan give me the rest you know so i'm excited you know thank you again um no i it's weird because uh, what I, one of the things I stayed up doing is I was just writing, you know, the the truth of this episode, the reason I, I and there's a lot there, but just that I, 
I was really depressed over the last few weeks um, and just uh, sort of wasn't, I, I didn't feel personally like present for making this video. I just was, um, I was making a video in the way, like, well, I, you know, I already had the script done, but it was like, well, here's how I usually make videos. I know, like, I, I was, like, completely like, dissociated. I was just, like, depressed and, like, not myself. I'm, like, but I know, my hands know how to make a video. And if I just make a video that I think is the way that I normally make videos, hopefully it'll be fine. <laughs> um, but I, like, I couldn't, I, I hated it throughout the most of the process. I'm, like, this is terrible. This, this video sucks. And I'm just, like, I think I was just, like, in a really shitty, dark place. Like, my, personally... And and the, I always, you know, I I use these projects to work through my shitty dark spaces. Um, so I spent like a week just like doing nothing but this video, and then by the end of it, sort of like kind of re, you know, finding myself in there of like, I think I think this is the how I do stuff. I think this is who I am. And then, you know, at the end of it, being like, ah, oh, okay sort of finding myself in it so it's it's really personally therapeutic and it was just you know i lost um so this isn't in there but my um my cat of 16 years died this last week um it's just over a week ago and you know the fact that i've been doing all the like tiger king lion king everything like that that this has been the theme It, you know, it just, it fucks me up. <laughs> so, I mean, besides, like, the, you know, obviously, like, this really personal loss of of this animal that I was incredibly close to. Um, but then just to, like, that it's it's part of the same thing in a, in a weird way, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, man. Yeah, I had that thing with um, where Amy's and my cat died choking on on string so many years ago and they didn't know what it was we brought it to the vet and they couldn't figure out why the cat was vomiting and it was right after i had, i had purged for 20 hours before ending up at the hospital for five days and uh, while they were debating on giving me the surgery to cut to cut me open and i didn't have to get cut open but then it was within like i think a week to 10 days that our cat got the exact same surgery and was purging like couldn't stop purging and they, they realized that the string had bunched up its intestines and it, it died on the operating table. So like I was, they were debating on giving me this surgery for the five days that I was in the hospital and uh, to straighten out my intestines, which had twisted during the ayahuasca ceremony. And uh, it was so bizarre because Amy and I could both like this, the symbolism of everything was just so apparent. Like she was working on a Marie Antoinette dress and it was string from the Marie Antoinette dress. And I just put this picture of Marie Antoinette up with the famous painting with her with the rose, but then like lacking a head, like she didn't have a head on. And like, it was just, it, um, this, and so I, the last art piece I had done before that was like, uh, uh, before this whole, crazy thing happened involved all these cats in the center of it with a reference to the haunting of julia where the cat chokes or not the cat excuse me where the the daughter chokes on the green apple you know and like i it was like all these cats in the center of this thing like cats with their mouths open this whole deal and yeah our cat died like right after that and it seemed like it was like did the cat take the fall like did the cat 
get the surgery that I was supposed to get. Cause it sure freaking felt that way to both of us. And it was one of those things where it's like, you know, I'm always careful when it comes to personalizing sync, you know, cause it's this whole other, um, level to it, you know, I try to avoid that. Uh, not just, to, not just avoid it, but be more objective with that than I am when I'm dealing with something from, you know, looking at media or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I wanted to bring this up with you, David, because we talked the last time um, before any of this shit went down. I believe it was sometime in 2019, and you were saying maybe early 2019, and you had and you brought up the uh, ninth film of Quentin Tarantino and the ninth Star Wars. Yeah. And and saying this feels like an ending or a culmination point, and then we talked about Jupiter Saturn and. But I mean, what's your opinion on that now? By the way, I loved uh, that night film by Quentin Tarantino. Wow, it was it was really talented. yeah. Did you watch it with uh, Lana Del Rey's Once Upon a Time with uh, Lana Del Rey's uh, Norman Fucking Rockwell? No, but is that available on your? On the yeah, show? that's on the okay. site. So that was the one when I went uh, to Michael Allen's gallery. That was the one that I showed for the public, and uh, I'm, I, the way that that came together, like so, I you know like right like the day of like when that was released on on video i was able to get that uploaded and it felt like so just you know yeah it was strange but um yeah uh m more than that yeah i just i've yeah i do feel i just had this conversation with jordan party actually and we uh we recorded that but um about the nine thing and then the ninth gate in relationship to um uh to eyes wide shut and in relationship to um, the uh, uh, what's the Don Quixote? So Johnny Depp was working on a Don Quixote film with um, with Terry Gilliam in '99, the same year that he was working on the Ninth Gate, and then that didn't get released until was it 2019? Um, the the death of Don Quixote, and so it's kind of like this cursed film or whatever. But if you compare the death of Don Quixote to the Ninth Gate in terms of timing, they're exactly 11 seconds apart. And so there's like Ninth Gate, you know, Don Quixote. But even the first scene of the Ninth Gate where um, Johnny Depp is is kind of scamming this guy who's who's got who had a stroke and he's going through his book collection and he st he gets Don Quixote. And so it's like the same year he's working on this Don Quixote film. He's like in the ninth gate. He like takes Don Quixote. And it's just, you know, but I think uh, there's the, the, um, the amazing number nine video where they go through and they show you everything you can do with nine, how you can represent the entire Fibonacci sequence just with nine through reduction and all of that stuff. It's, it's, it's gets pretty profound, you know, um, like if you, if you, uh, you know, divide a circle in any way, and you add up the numbers, it'll always equal nine. So if you say you have a 45 degree angle, 45, that's four plus five, that's nine. It doesn't, 360, uh, three plus six, that's nine. It doesn't matter what it is. Every time you do that, it's always going to equal nine. And uh, I, I feel, and that points to singularity. Like if we keep dividing something so much, we, and which people have spoken to a lot, um, are we headed towards a singularity ultimately? Is it relatively exponential? Is it completely exponential? Like, I don't know. Yeah, we, t we just talked about um, on another podcast, let's see, Wally, uh, it came up with, I forgot, I forgot the name of it, it's with Jim Kincaid, um, that podcast out of Austria with this guy Raphael, um, but this idea came up of the simulation versus nature, and um, it was, we've talked about this before, but the idea of the Fibonacci, uh, the phi ratio, the irrational number, being represented by fractions, 
you know, using the Fibonacci sequence and how this might tell us something about reality versus nature, or if it's all a simulation, is the, is the simulator simulating something like a mountain, mm-hmm. whereas we have the pyramids that are human built. And so that's, you know, so it's like even within the simulation, there's a nature and a non-nature. Or is, is, there, is, is there some kind of essential kernel of so-called nature or God or something like this that isn't the simulation? And someone mentioned this idea that a simulation, Wally did, a simulation implies something is being simulated. So what is being simulated? It's this right. right. It's the difference between creation and, and building something, right? So if you manufacture something on any level, even if you're just manufacturing on the mind level, like when you're, project, when you're relating to a form of something, anytime there's a, a simulation, you're dealing with something that you're literally building, whether by the hands or by the mind, versus what underlies it, which is the actual creation itself. So like if you, if you have a, if, if a woman has a baby, she's obviously creating something, but she's actually a co-creator. She's an extension. Something's coming out of her and then something's going to come out of that. People come out of people. You know, so that if anyone wants to question the fractal nature of reality, you know, it's people come out of people, <laughs> you know, but then in the midst of that, we, so I, I take it that that's like, that that's really what Rosemary's baby is about in relationship to 2001 Space Odyssey, because both things are about childbirth. And in one, you have basically it's Roe, it's Roe versus Wade was what she's being referenced with her name there, you know, and so you, you have um, basically this idea that that what is being manufactured and what is being manipulated in order, you know, that those manipulations that they ultimately in the, in the grand scheme of, of humanity, they will fall short of the thing of the thing. That's actually the organism that continues on. So like if we destroy ourselves, something still comes out of us like Phoenix, you know, um, that's how evolution has happened in the past. Like people are afraid of carbon levels and it makes perfect sense because it's fucking serious shit. You know, you talk about global warming and all this stuff, but it's like when carbon levels were the highest on the planet, sure. You had the death of a lot of species, but you also had the proliferation of, of, um, the most new species. And so the two kind of come together and that gets a little difficult because on one level you're like, well, does that translate to fuck all and do whatever we want? Of course not. You know, you want to, you want to work with something, you know, you want to, um, you don't have to celebrate the fact that nothing lasts forever. It's just like anything. It's like any relationship. If you know that something's like, you know, if you had like a cat and the cat was sick, you don't have to mourn the cat before it dies. You know what I mean? You, you interact with the cat and love the cat. Like it doesn't need to be a dead cat walking, you know? Can I just segue there? So I know like you, you were saying you had the, the personal sort of like, Hey, you had the same sickness you had, right? Uh, you and your cat, where it's like, okay, uh, you're purging, the cat's purging, all these sorts of that mirror there. So, my cat, you know, we we were in quarantine for you know two months. That that period, in those two months, I took my cat to the vet five times, okay, because he had an ear infection, and. Um, I also had an ear infection, right? So I'm like, oh, okay. So it's that it's that sort of thing, um, and I kept and like I went five times. And the thing is, with all the synchronicities, so you're saying don't mourn him before you die. But like with all these synchronicities, I just knew, like I fucking knew. My cat was totally healthy, and then it's like, oh, suddenly he's scratching in his ear and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, oh fuck, my cat's gonna die. And my lady's like, what are you talking? You know, what are you talking about? So we go to the vet, and they're like, oh, it's just an ear infection. I'm like, okay, cool. 
put these eardrops in. Okay, cool. I let my guard down. And then, like, two weeks later, it's like, oh, he seems worse. Take him back. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess this spread to his sinuses or something, you know? And they could be like, oh, this is no big deal, it's blah, blah, blah. And then, like, by the, you know, fifth visit, they're like, was, oh, we just think it's this, um, you know, okay, it's, this should be this really basic thing. All right, we are going to have to do surgery, but, you know, we really think it's this. And then it's like, oh, now that we're in there, no, he's got this giant cancerous lump that is like really advanced and that's what's been the problem of all that's the, that's what's caused all of this and actually no he's gonna die and it's like oh yeah i know <laughs> i know um so there's the like don't mourn before or whatever but there's also the like really appreciate what you got you know i, I think that that's the again maybe that's the there's a a subtlety of approach there but you know, don't mourn it, but don't don't think it lasts forever either. Hold on loosely, but don't let go. <laughs> yeah. If you cling too tightly, you're gonna lose control. Yeah, but uh, uh, take it easy, baby. Take it as it comes. Don't move too fast. No, that's another thing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I think that there's something to be said for having perspective. It's kind of like plan plan for the worst, hope for the best. You know. Um, so you want to prepare yourself with things, but at the same time, I'm, I'm just, you know, it's, it's, you don't, you don't want things that, to, um, if you know that something doesn't last forever, that doesn't mean you don't enjoy it. You're going to eat your ice cream, but don't have unreasonable expectations either that ice cream will just last forever. And so something that can apply on the most simple level doesn't, you know, um, still applies on, on macro scale. So you can take a, um, a really basic fact of life that you experience on a daily level over and over and over again, you know, with like, I can't get no satisfaction. But at the same time, realizing that that we're not the final word yet, you know, and I think that we're that there's another stage of development that's kind of required. And uh, it, it doesn't really take form until we get on the most primordial level why it's even needed or what it even is, you know, like when you conceive of something. So I've said this before, but it's this idea that like you develop eyes, physical eyes out of a primordial desire to see. And so like we, when we relate to desire, we relate to it on kind of a topical level when really like you have a desire of the species itself. And when that reaches a certain point, then we can develop a new faculty out of that recognition of that desire. But the way that that works is like, that's, that's the principle of the of the fall, right? It's like once you once you truly, truly, truly hit rock bottom, then that's the point at which you you can um, that the that the on the on the deepest most essential level we we recognize another need. We're like we fall short in this in this specific way, and that that comes out of it. But it's not it's not like formulating like when we normally think of like formulating a thought or whatever. It goes deeper than that. It's like uh, to, to Bina with the template that extends through the rest of the of the tree or the, the expression, you know. There's a saying, um, you know, how to get out of that hole you're in, uh, stop digging, you know, and I think that, um, that anyhow, just I've heard that in reference to hitting bottom that people talk about that kind of our own desire, uh, we're, we're participating in that fall, probably because and for the purpose of, of this phoenix rising like you had just mentioned i mean it's almost like we want to go deeper in order to give birth 
to that new form. You know what I'm saying? You ha we have to. We have to participate. We have to consent, even in, on unconscious and subconscious levels. You know. Right. Well, to your digging allegory, I mean, that's like saying no amount of violence will ever bring about peace. No amount of one thing will ever bring about its opposite, I guess. And so that's kind of a kicker because <laughs> well, we see it. We see imbalances and we want to swing a, a, a pendulum and it's, it's gets it gets tricky then because, you know, on a certain level, no amount of something's opposite ever brings about something else. And so you want to set things right. But at the same time, you know, how do you do it? it's, a, it's a very um, it's a very difficult thing to tackle. I've been looking at Serpico. Have you guys ever seen Serpico? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I uh for I went through a period where um my hair was a certain length and I guess like my facial hair and my top hair was a certain length that people would like stop me and be Oh, he's fucking Serpico. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it. But uh that was a real guy. <laughs> that's a true story. Oh yeah. You know? And that's amazing. Like, that guy got shot in the face, survived, and then testified after that, after he was saying he didn't want to testify. But it's just it, it, the, the reflection of, like, what happens. Like, people are like, oh, we want less corruption in the police department. But I think, and, and that's what we want. That's what I want. Uh, it's, it's, it's a really tricky matter when you have so much corruption that when you're like, well, not all cops are bad. And it's like, if you want to be an honest cop, you're not going to be trusted by your fellow officers if they're corrupt and you put yourself at a huge risk if you don't play the game to some degree. So that's what Serpico did. He's like all these guys on the take. And then he's like, I don't want to be on the take. I want to be free of that. I don't want to deal with it. It's not worth it to me. You know, it's wrong. He, he didn't feel uh, ethically okay with that. And by him not participating, he was, you know, they went, they went after him and it just turned his life into upside down into total hell. And so I look at that and I'm like, that's the seventies. You think that it's gotten any better? No, of course not. You know, no, 50 years, the corruption's even more entrenched. And, uh, so, uh, just to say, you said, you know, no amount of violence ever brought about its opposite. I mean, so people are making, you know, the comments of like, um, Stonewall riots, um, uh, think of, think of all the, um, all the, the protests that got us, um, you know, labor protections and uh, five-day work week and things like that. Um, so there, there are people, you know, sort of saying, "Hey, this this has worked in the past. You can make the the, these the only way that it works is when the thing that you're the the specific activism that you're doing is easily tied to the thing that you're doing activism for. That's why boycotts actually work. So, like, uh, you know, so when you know the the English had a hold on the salt industry in India. That's when uh, Mahatma Gandhi uh, had everyone march down to the ocean to make salt. And then the English are like, realized, oh shit, like that's a business. Like he's going to really af affect this, you know? And so, and that's why what, what, I'm literally quoting Martin Luther King and Mahatma Gandhi on that point. But the thing about those people is that they were fighters. They just did it in such a way that they, you know, it, um, they sort of kind of yield to overcome. But in the midst of that, they never stopped fighting for what they believed in. They just knew that if you fight 
using the same mentality of the people that you're fighting, then it gets all mixed up because it justifies those other people to do whatever they want in retaliation. And so it can, it can become a downward spiral really quickly. And so like with Mahatma Gandhi, he, he wanted to prevent a, a, a violent mob breakdown with, with Pakistan, you know? And so they had to, he had to, he had to figure out ways to na- navigate that so that you can fight something without uh, going to the same level as the people that you're fighting, because then you're just viewed as a, as a, as a hypocrite, or you can um, end up hurting the cause uh, by, by do, doing it um, on uh, too, too much of a, of a um, kind of a reflex reactionary level. you don't want to go to base instinct level, you know, you want to do it intelligently and that's difficult. There's, there's also a strategy that I think is useful when we think about this idea. Uh, and that's the idea of, of you bring something out to be seen. It's like making a shadow, uh, seeing the shadow. And so sometimes that requires the experience of that shadow act or that shadow action. And so, for example, Gandhi, and I don't know how much of this is real. I think a lot of it is, but that scene in the movie where they they didn't back down, right? The marchers didn't say, um, you know, go home. They stood their ground, knowing that the violence would be enacted upon them by the violent state. And so there's a scene where they just march into the cops and take the beating. And but you know, it's shown that they were not they weren't themselves or they were minimizing um, using that tool of violence back, but they were letting the violence be enacted on them as sort of a way to bring it up and then heal it or transmute it. And so I think there's some nuance with like how, you know, if we're going to talk about like mass protests and, and stuff like, and things like that, I think there is this nuance of like how much of our, our, our is one bringing a violent act that would be blameworthy and how much is someone sort of working within that reactive space or that violent space as a way to kind of heal or transmute. I want to just, if we're going to go here, I wanted to bring up um, two quick sinks, and maybe this can give us something to pull from. The one thing here, uh, David, you had just said, nothing lasts forever. And instantly my mind went to the Guns N' Roses lyric from November Rain, nothing lasts forever in the cold November rain. I don't know if you guys remember that record, but this album, of course, yeah, yeah, it came out in 91. And the thing about 1991 in this moment is the Saturn and Aquarius tie in. Saturn was actually right there in Aquarius, and it's exactly the um, time when Rodney King happened. And so there is this echo right now, at least in terms of Saturn's placement, to the early 90s, Rodney King. Um, but the song from that album uh, that, that I think is in, um, instructive here is the song Civil War by, the, by, the Gun, by Guns N' Roses. It's the whole thing. There, there's, there's nothing civil about war, and the line is like... Um, I don't need your civil war. It feeds the rich while it buries the poor. And so, I mean, you know, my, my, I, I guess if we're talking about this idea of violence, I think that's the real risk is that violence is deployed by a resisting, a group of resistors as a way to kind of allow for a even harder crackdowns. And the other thing I just want to briefly mention is that COINTELPRO was really alive and active, too. There's echoes back to the mid-60s, like that Martin Luther King letter, that famous letter by the, from the FBI. Yeah, um, yeah. That was also Saturn and Aquarius uh, in the 60s, in the mid-60s. So I just, I'm, I'm doing astrological research all the time, but these are things that are on my radar right now. And, and I think that, you know, when we look at those 
um, issues in conjunction with the news that we're seeing now where there's clearly rabble rousers from somewhere that are a part of what's going on. I mean, I don't think, I mean, maybe we, maybe you guys have a different idea about that, but I've just seen video after video of like professional protesters with like geared out or like the bricks in Dallas. I don't know if you guys saw that or. Yeah, I've guessed it about that. Yeah. So, so I'm just going to throw it back to you, but these, this is kind of what's on my mind with this stuff. How does a group transmute this moment for healing without falling prey to like even state intervening forces to take it down to that kind of ping-ponging back and forth on the same, wa- same wavelength to dis- destabilize and prevent it from succeeding? Well, they had the... So, in I was seeing footage of San Jose yesterday. It's right, practically right down the road from me. It's like, what, uh, 20 minutes away? And I see they're tear gassing all these people on the street who are doing a peaceful protest. And I'm like, how are they doing that? And I found out that there was a car that went through a barricade. And once that car penetrated the barricade, they said, okay, now we're going to use the tear gas. But it was just like they were waiting for the go-ahead to just be like, okay, now it's tear gas time. Instead of, okay, we're going to deal with this person who, one person who went through a barricade, they're like, now this is on everybody. Because the group gets gets kind of represented as kind of almost one organism. And so they're like, now this is what the group is doing. So you know that video of the guy breaking the glass with the hammer and then they follow him around the corner, you know, hold my blunt, you know, that whole deal. Uh, it was right after that glass got broken and he spray painted the wall there uh, within moments that the tear gas started firing. And so it looked like a coordinator, like, okay, now we've been given the excuse. And so that's, that's the difficulty there is that they've set up the rules and the rules are all based on these kind of presupposed assumptions around how to deal with, with crowd control, like just even what the crowd is in the first place. Like it's a it's a group of people. They're not one person and they're coming from different places. And you have people shouting, oh, my God, don't do it that way. Don't do that. Don't break those windows. Don't do this thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's too late and some one of them has done it and now it just breaks down and so i don't think that there really is a simple solution for you know dealing with provocateurs and um even just people who are part of the group who get carried away and how a mob can you know form so quickly where you can have a peaceful protest and it 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 changes into a mob and a lot of it just has to do with when people's fight or flight gets activated and it's a it's a protective thing you know um yeah and and just to uh, just to put myself on the record here i i want to make be clear i don't i don't think every protest needs to be peaceful as i was saying like i i don't know that i believe that i don't know that i believe that every every protest has to be peaceful i think they're um i i totally understand all the the concerns that you guys are raising as far as um just how things devolve and and all that sort of stuff um I just, I just, um, I'm not, I'm not ready to um, make that that sweeping sort of argument. Um, are you? And, are you? Would you? Would you resonate with Bobby Seale and John Lennon's idea of like we try this as much as we can, and if this doesn't work, then any means necessary. Uh, yeah, to to an extent of yeah, you know, the I think it's really. There's a, few, I mean, there's so much to to address here, but I think it's really telling that the the response is 
oh man, just you know, it's stuff's got to be kept peaceful. Stuff's got to be kept peaceful, and I mean, w- we see how if if we want to keep this from just like a the the but you know, focus on the topic of like a George Floyd and and racial injustice, um, th- any activism on that part has been rejected en masse ignored you know um any you know copernic's a great example i think it's like a really it is a really powerful example of here's someone who did the most simple thing the the simplest statement of of rejection has been demonized for years that's where we're at right where it's like we you 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 can't uh, and and again obviously the like take a knee and kneeling on this man like the parallels there are so apt. Um, it's uncanny. It, it truly is, and I, so you know whether that's you know people want to say is that planned is that whatever I and I, I think I just want to say I see people saying this is all planned. This is some George Soros funded protest. This is blah blah blah. That to me is totally ignorant. It's denying the fact that there is real upset there is there are real emotions and uh real problems that need addressed so i i I want to outright reject this like it's all fucking controlled you know this is all whatever yes there's there's opportunists in the midst oh but but undoubtedly i mean listen like you know i we're all similar age um we're all similarly sort of politically active you know i i'm i know g8 protests and uh you know even even when the, you take the ra- racial aspect out of it it's still the same if you stand up you know if you stand up to police if you stand up to authority and authoritarianism this is the reaction it's the same playbook i mean i'm i'm watching things and i'm like there was a point in my life you know 2000 seven or so you know I, I distinctly remember you know just the first time you're like oh able to kind of help coordinate protests through twitter and stuff like that and okay here's this guy oh shit here comes the you know the police marching down this street all these sorts of things like i you know i <laughs> i understand the the patterns i understand um how provocateurs are are such a problem. But that, again, that we can't, we can't make this sweeping argument that because of provocateurs, if that we let that color the whole conversation, we're still not addressing the problem. You, you know what I mean? So like, I don't, I don't right. want, again, this is all nuance, but I don't want that if our conversation is about provocateurs, then we have we are helping in a way silence and remove authority, remove the 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 whole point of this. What people people are genuinely upset about, if we aren't focused on that, if we're, and and I don't know, like again, it's like to me, it's like a struggle. Of how do you help keep it focused on that? The provocateurs are there literally to 
move the conversation, to shift that conversation to like, well, guess we got to do something about this violence, right? Um, yeah, I, I spoke to the woman the other night who had the um, pharmacy that was broken into and uh, did a video call with Andreas and her and in um, Minneapolis. And, you know, like, kind of hearing her, her perspective and where she, she's just so confusing, you know, because she's just like looking at it. She's like, oh, my God, what a tragedy for so many people. A lot of elderly people, all the people who get their medication, at, it's a Walgreens. And it's just completely ransacked. And they they got in there with a, with a shotgun. And I'm just like, oh, my God, like, I... I mean, I have no, it's us and them, which is which and who is who, what, what, like, it's just, it's, it's so out of control, you know, I don't have any, any, any complete answers to that. I just, I look at that and it's kind of a plain picture, you know, I'm just like, okay, well, I mean, like I'm down with like the, um, certain conceptual aspects around the way that anarchy can be, um, kind of like, uh, explained in alternative other than just like chaos you know like how people can organize in different different ways you know but that's really tough man that's next level i just say i want to go on record too alan and just say i mean i completely hear your point and i we we entered the stream of this topic at just in a moment there where i where i think the agent uh, provocateur issue is relevant but that's certainly a kind of a micro nuance and a, or maybe not micro, but an important nuance. But I think if we're starting in back at a higher level of how would I want to enter this conversation to talk about what's happening, it would certainly be that America is, you know, a police state even before this, that there is oppression, victimization of marginalized groups of all kinds impoverished groups and there's certainly a racialized component to that that's endemic to the american experience from the beginning so i mean i'm on record supporting the thrust of 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 some of the ideas that i'm seeing online i think it's just when we were then talking about tactics that's where i think the agent provocateur component becomes highly relevant because it has to be taken into consideration when you're thinking tactically how are you going to dismantle this oppressive you know, so that that's really where I was entering into it. I want to just be clear. If, if, okay. It doesn't it doesn't have to be like a a coordinated police provocateur either. He doesn't have to have an Certainly. earpiece in the whole thing. It's like people. How many of all? It was like what all the arrests from St. Paul were people who were out of state. Well, the many, 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 but or just, out of out of St. Paul. So just to say, okay, uh, I again, we're 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 three white dudes having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> right. Last I checked. Right. Yeah. So just to say, like, I, uh, my, I'm partially informed by. So I, I have a, I have a, a black friend who, when the first, what you're talking about, the AutoZone guy breaking those windows, that first AutoZone provocateur thing happened, um, and people are like so quickly sharing this. I have a friend who just was like, he says, hey, like, yeah, this dude's a dick. But don't basically don't steal the thunder. Don't make this about this this person. And I'm I'm not letting this guy dictate my my thought. But just to say, again, I think it's important to get a black perspective in here to say, hey, don't let this guy change the conversation. This isn't just white people and white provocateurs stuff. 
do not deny the actual rage and issue. And he made this this point to say, like, do not let this fucking shift the conversation. Now, maybe, so I want to get that in there and to say, maybe as three white guys, particularly three white guys in this sort of conspiracy culture, whatever the fuck we want to call this, maybe it is important for us to focus on that you know, if it is provocateurs, if it's alt-right, if it's manipulation, if it's all these things, yeah, sh- totally, let's focus on that. Let's, I, I, again, it's not, uh, I'm very, very aware of how that works, of being in those situations. Um, it's ultimately beside the point. Because when you're dealing with, when you're dealing with uh, any po- political party or any organization, that is an externalization of an underlying neuroses. Right. And so it's not that political parties, uh, you know, uh, spread fascism. It's that the fascism is actually in the mechanistic <coughs> underlying neuroses uh, that it ends up uh, creating this thing to to spread it to spread itself. Now, when you're dealing with things that aren't even organized organizations, like Antifa is not an organization. You know, it's not organized. It's just it's like anonymous, but it's not anonymous. You know what I mean? So, and so that gets really tricky. Um, I we're getting these messages. So apparently, my city just uh, let me just go back to this. I don't just to verify the times. My lady just texted me, "Hey, we uh, Richmond City, Richmond now is a curfew, eight p.m. to six a.m." You know that just went into effect. Um, a curfew. What does that mean? You can't drive outside. What What is that? Well, what's funny is I was looking at the language of a different curfew yesterday, and it's literally uh, says. You know, non-essential travel. It goes back to that same language of COVID. Essential. Are you essential? Do you, if you are someone that has a reason to be out at that time, <laughs> you know, yeah, you have to plead your case, and then and then whoever you're pleading it to, it's like up to them to determine right, what they, to right. interpret it, things as they will. When you have vague laws, that's really dangerous, and especially when they're laws that aren't even passed. So you're like, this is a law, I guess, precisely. but did it go? What did it go through to get determined? Yeah. So I mean, we, there we go yeah, with the, the Ap- again, Apollonian extremes. You know, I want to be clear. I mean, like, uh, you know, I, I, I fully understand. The concern of how not only things can be controlled or, or, or like how provocateurs could happen and the downside. Like, again, my fear from two months ago was this. Uh, you know, when, when the COVID shit started, I was like, well, this will be the alt-right's excuse for acting up. Uh, so just to say, I've, <laughs> you know, I'm. My 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 heart and my mind is is in this subject, taking it very seriously. I just again, I think it's. I, I was, I, I want to try and be. I want to make an effort to try and keep this conversation, or at least keep the the framework for this conversation in the place of like. Hey, what is the root thing? What 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 caused this? And what uh, here? I mean, I just say like um, I had a thought like, well, okay, how do we deal with these provocateurs and how do we whatever? And I think uh, a, a thing that comes to, to mind that is going to be 
divisive, I think, for many, many people is to say, well, if you're going if you're going to protest in these situations and you are not a black or brown person, take a fucking back seat. So this way, if you see it's a, you know, they should be taking a front seat, truth be told. They should be standing as a fucking protective shield. Okay, sure. Yeah, or, or take be a shield. But sure. I know what I know what you're pointing my, at. My I know point what you is, mean to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you see that there's the, the white guy who's taking the charge to break the window, you fucking stop him. But also, you know, just uh, the, the person who's, con- you know, trying to to rile up a, po- uh, a police or something. Hey, you stand... Exactly. If you're going to be talking, you stand behind somebody else. If you want to be helpful, I said what I'm saying is you you're not in the leadership role. You're not setting the tone. You're not setting the actions. You can you're only there as a support for something else. That I think would be a a way to direct this. So it's like, hey, if it's if it's we're going to fucking burn down a, again. I think you know burning down a police station could be very apt and powerful statement and maybe an appropriate action. I I'm not I'm not ready to, to say violence is not necessarily the answer. I think like hey there is a chance for actual righteous rage to make a statement but you have to allow if if it's going to be that situation then you would have to allow this other group and not not to like be othering but to say hey this isn't this isn't the time for you to say this is what's appropriate or what's not it's just there to say hey how the fuck can i assist or be a, a good ally in this situation our our police chief in santa cruz kneeled with the people yeah. the other day i saw that yeah. and i'm just like thank you thank you because we got right over the hill we got san jose in absolute chaos and for him to do that, I don't know. I can never. I can't. I don't know the future. I can't guarantee anything. But for the a top superior like that to kind of set the the precedent for acknowledging in the midst of a peaceful protest and to treat the protest as peaceful, good good on him, man. I, I like that. I mean, I, I've had my issues with him in the past for various things, but I really like that. I just want to throw in here. I mean, Alan, I hear your point, and I think that that is one way that this could go. I think. Uh, in terms of just taking a step back, like you're saying, for groups that maybe aren't impacted by this to take a step back. But I think there's another question that's that's raised, that this raises here, which is like, what is this? What is happening here right now? And, um, you know, so there's the issue of police violence against, um, you know, black and brown or POC communities. That's, that, I, th- and I think that's a real issue that needs to be addressed directly. But I think that this is also something about a larger moment here as it relates to like systematic oppression in the American system. And that's why you're seeing at the protest. I mean, like on my Twitter, I see black and brown people just tweeting like last night. It was all like these are all white people at the protest. So and they were they're they're talking about the demographic makeup of the unrest being largely even a majority, even, you know, these kind of, you know, whiter, less melanated people. And so at some point, I think this crosses over. So because of that reason, one and two, because of the widespread nature of the uh, of the unrest, it crosses over at a certain point to become like a collective uh, issue where I think that we're going to have to throw in my, my vision of how this should go. 
and it would because I think it would create more lasting solutions would would be that this somehow becomes a yellow vest style thing where the, the, the spark is the George you know Floyd moment. But then this emerges where you're seeing already all the colors together. When is this going to become every Saturday? Everybody goes and says Precisely. this is an oppressive system. This is a police state. Uh, people of all colors have been getting killed, not to minimize the disproportionate and systematic you know, targeting of, of marginalized groups. But what about the economic oppression? What about the real looting or, you know, real substantive looting that just took place? The trillions and trillions and trillions for the Fortune 500. You know, so this is where I think it can the promise of where this can go. I would and, love to. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. Having it, the focus be on class struggle and the, 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 the nature of systemic and cultural violence through capitalism, the last or colonialism, however long you want to take it back. But yeah, finding a, uh, a way to strategize in a way that's not co-opting is going to be the key there too. Cause it's, it, you you're know, hitting, you're hitting my concern there. Yeah. Which is, I, so I don't mean to cut you guys off. I just want to, sorry. What I want to clarify is that that's exactly it is to find that balance because I wanted two months ago, I was like, where, where is the left outrage? You know, we see these, the, you know, I see all the right wing guys saying this is tyranny and this is whatever. Where the fuck is the left wing, for lack of a better term, outrage of what's happening? This co- corporation's fucking devastating us in this moment. Where's the class struggle? All that sort of stuff. And Zach, what you said is without co-opting. And that's to clarify my point is to say, I'm just afraid that a bunch of white people coming in saying, hey, let's let's. Let's make this, let's turn this into this message. And we still haven't addressed that black people are being killed by police is what it might is just to say, like, that has to remain. That has to remain a central sort of tenant of any any activism at this point, just that this. Which is going to come down to the level of, uh, you know, radicalism that is going to have to be embraced by the the legitimate um you know groups that have every right to figure out how they want to strategize but that that the ball is is not in the court of people saying all lives matter for sure you know yeah I'm, and i'm just thinking like longer term i mean we're in this together ultimately and and again it's not to minimize or co-opt i mean i, I absolutely don't want that to happen but I just think there's danger if it doesn't start becoming more inclusive and and kind of where you you might want to put it this way. What are the causes of of the police state? What are what's the root cause of that? You know, and I think I think the police state has been set up um, for reasons beyond simply going after black and brown bodies, though that is one of their favorite things to do. But I think capital and the flows of capital and protecting power and protecting those in charge are kind of, um, you know, I guess what I'm saying, my fear is this. We have a George Floyd moment. And I mean, what's the reform that's going to come out of it? You know, Um, I think that unless we start articulating the reforms, that would then be things like dismantling, like ban the cops. I'm seeing that on Twitter now. Abolish the police. I mean, that's wonderful. That yeah. impacts the whole community. You know, that that's that would help everybody. You know, I think things like 
um, a robust social safety net is essential to to stop some of this stuff from happening because then you don't have poor people to you know target right there's less poor people to target when when everybody has money and is and are, and, and, and is well fed so it's complex it's nuanced it's tough to even begin to talk about um, and you know um, anyhow I think our hearts are all in the same place you know um, absolutely yeah 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 uh, so, uh, um, I just, you know, there's well, the reason that I brought up, say, a G8 protest or, um, you know, even we had, uh, in the last few days that like protests at the white house, um, these sorts of things where you could say, Hey, this uh, oh I was gonna say Occupy Wall Street I remember Occupy Wall Street goddamn I remember all the police siding with the fucking banks you know and people were like hey this is this is so clearly like this is a protection of capitalism in the face that was that was not a black or brown issue um, it's it, this is not so again I, I yeah I I, I think. Where our, where our hearts are all in the same place of like there there could be a a very real moment to say let's address these things so if you look you, know, you mentioned yellow vests guillaume i know you can't say much but i'd be curious if you could say anything is just to say um we literally had big protests happening in france right and and you know and I feel like um, here in America maybe less on the street protests but they felt like a, maybe a Bernie Sanders movement or something like that. Um, uh, hold on. Um, we're around the world, you know. Uh, look at like Hong Kong, things like that. So there were protests happening that were put on hold because of coronavirus and all this sort of shit. So I was very curious to see what happens once those restrictions are lifted. Does that movement still have legs? Um, and I'd be very curious, do you have any any insight of what you're seeing in France as far as anything from yellow vests to, as you, you texted me earlier, you said there's a Black Lives Movement, uh, Black, Lives, Black Lives Matter movement on Tuesday in Paris. Guillaume mentioned that he's he's has other stuff going on. He he's going to join in the conversation when he's able, but he might not be able to respond like that. Yeah, I just wanted to see if he was able to respond. Cool. Um, all right. Well, I want. I was pulled to mention that you know you guys you know the the story of the Bhagavad Gita, where Arjun rides up and ready to go, basically like at a standoff. With this, with this war, and he looks across the battle lines, and he realizes that everyone who he's about to go to war with are people that he knows and loves from his past. And so then Krishna rides up, and the whole rest of the Gita is Krishna explaining to him why he has to he has to do this anyway. And the way that that's traditionally taken is that this is your um, emotional attachments and projections that aren't actually these people but kind of a screen between you and their reality. And so that's the traditional interpretation of it. The Bhagavad Gita as it is, which is kind of a fanatical 
movement, in my opinion, is a different take, which actually is more in line with like Hitler's view that this was a, an actual war that happened. Here he is rationalizing killing people is a whole other deal. But in principle, that notion of like, you know, that that when when police officers or military people wear armor, that that armor is an externalization of an internal uh, character armor, that if if the internal armor is penetrated and they're they're brought to a, a place of reflection or humility that the external armor then becomes useless. And so my sense is that in the long run, that always has to happen. Like anytime you have a war, especially like a world war, people end up, their shadow emerges and they have all this, these levels of reflection that go with that. Now, when you have genera generational amnesia, where one generation experiences something hellish and crazy and they see what they're capable of, you know, they have to pass that on to the next generation and be like, look, this is what we learn. This is what it is. But if you're only given concepts around it and then there's so much disinformation and everything else, like propaganda and things that people, people come up against, then they have to question how true what their elders told them were they, or at least if you're dealing with concepts, it's hard for that to hit you in the heart the same way that it hits one generation. And so my hope would be actually that our ability to um, to translate things in such a way that we can get windows into the way that we thought. Like this is one of the paradoxes of when people want to censor, like even just like old cartoons or, or something, you know, where you're like Speedy Gonzales and you're like, this is racist or whatever it happens to be. And then it's like, well, why are we so evolved that we know that in the first place? But the ability to have exposure to little, to see what it was that we used to relate to things as and then see to have the reflection of like what human beings are even capable of in terms of their hatred and all these different and how things come out in different ways or whatever and so like i i don't know i think it's kind of it, it's a, it's kind of a paradox because when you uh have things that that allow you to reflect on something and then you want to censor those things because it kind of goes against the very idea of why we know better why we should feel that we need to censor them anyway is because we have this reaction to them, but they're on record. So it's like everything's on record now. You've, you, we've, we've recorded so much, you know, so you can, you can see. And then you also have room for manipulation even within that. But then when you look back at human history, you're like, dude, it used to be paintings or it didn't happen. Like we don't even know. Like history has always been written by the winners. And so it's nothing new. It's just another level to the same, the same difficulty. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I wanted to say this too because it, I was the, the other thought I had uh, relates exactly to that, David. Which is, I mean, and this is kind of a postmodern uh, theory idea of like representation and truth and how our language, even discourse, um, creates reality. You know what I'm saying? And we've inherited, um, particularly in America, racialism. And racialism is a theory that emerges in like the 18th, 19th century to to even using the language and the terminology and the taxonomy of how we divide ourselves into different, you know, groups within the society, that taxonomy is something that weighs really, really heavy in, in America and on this particular political moment, the taxonomy of racialism, as distinct from things that existed even before that, whatever prejudices or ideas of supremacy that, are, that were around before that time, right? And I think that, you know, my hope for how this how how do we transcend the discourse of racialism in a way so that it, it it's like a, a a violent inheritance that it just permeates everything you know what i'm saying we read it in the books we hear it in the media from age zero 
And, um, you know, that's what postmodernists say. They say we need to re, you know, question or deconstruct or build an archaeology of, of, of the images, of the representations of the words, where they came from, now how they're being deployed unthinkingly. Um, and I would really like to see more of that work done in terms of like how we even think about our identity in the community at the current moment. And how can we kind of reformulate and have new language and new kind of a new discourse, really, that's more reflective of, of true reality. Um, and that's not a popular idea at all. I mean, I don't, I don't I'm not going to interject that anywhere. I mean, there's thinkers that do that in the academy, but that's not, not something that I think is really well received because I do think there's a vested interest and you can read about Howard's you can read Howard's in the people's history. He's got a whole chapter on this, but how that discourse of racialism was deployed against workers to kind of divide the unifying subjugated lower classes of workers against each other so that the corporation it's historically economic, most racism. And so, like, for example, you know, in relatively modern times in the 80s, when people talk about uh, Trump not renting to black people, he never overtly said, I'm not going to rent to black people. What he said is, I'm not going to rent to people uh, of us. We're going to look into their their economic status. And it just so happened that in New York City at the time, a lot of people that belong, the majority of people that belong to that economic status happened to be black. And so they felt discriminated against about that. And they were. Um, but it's it's uh, it, it was a, a largely like Trump is an absolute classist. I mean, he always has been. And when people talk about, you know, like doing, you know, uh, oh, well, here he is with Kanye West. Well, it's like, well, Kanye West is a multimillionaire. Like, you know, do you see him, you know, having the same relationship to people of the lower classes other than at rallies and lip service? What has he actually done for those communities? And so in historically and just beyond being president, like what has he actually done for them? And it's, it's, it's not much, <laughs> but that's, you know, I'm, I don't want to go into just a, a complete Trump thing, but I mean, it's a certain mentality that people have that, that gets translated sometimes as racism when ultimately it's a classist issue that works itself out that, that way. And so, but there so are, can I, yeah. Can I can I just uh, ask um, you can keep talking. I just want you to pivot. You said not to make it a Trump thing. As I said, there were um, uh, I, as I said, I, I don't I don't, didn't see anything last night. I was just had my, my head in this project. But two nights ago was um, I, I was was watching those protests at the White House. Um, what do you think of that? Of like, OK, so you have all these things where it's like you have, hey, maybe this is a protesting a local precinct or things like that but what about actually taking it to sources of power i mean i feel like um particularly when we see who who's benefiting from from this classism who's benefiting from even the fucking coronavirus you know like are people... It's a total heist going on for real, and that's right. next level looting. People are like, "Oh my god, people are stealing television sets," and you know, God for, forbid, breaking into fucking Walgreens, which is crazy. But I mean, like, you know, there's there's a massive heist taking place, and who's getting the short end of the st- stick there? But the low, the lower classes, and even the the mi- a lot of people in the middle class. I mean, I know a lot of people that are getting that that are getting that twelve hundred dollar check and you know uh but the, the, that's their that's their rent 
you know, and they're out of work and they're trying to get work. And who the hell wants to work with a, a mask on all all day? Well, like, so I'm just down to with, say like, my, my restaurant, you. my restaurant just reopened two days ago and now they just instituted a curfew. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's literally like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, wh- what do you what do you do with that? Um, obviously, you know, we we can still open during the day or something but um you know as, as far as a, a yeah um maybe, again yeah maybe jj can speak to your um i don't think jj's here is he is he he's got a, it says his microphone's turned off i am yeah. oh Hi. shit i didn't see you hey what's yeah, up man yeah i'm good Please, yeah, come on, jump in here. I, I think maybe, yeah. I don't know if, if you were here when, when Alan was speaking to the yellow vest thing and kind of like inquiring to Guillaume, but then Guillaume was, was working, I think, in his kitchen or something. No, um, I wasn't there, no. Oh, maybe you might want to repose that. Um, basically, so my question was, hey, we had um, different movements, Hong Kong, yellow vest in France, America, not as much in the street, but, um, you know, there was... It felt like, hey, there was a a, a a at least a populist backing of let's try supporting Bernie Sanders first or something that seemed to be a wave of momentum, and then coronavirus comes, quiets everything down, um, and suddenly no one's able to go out and protest. My question was, oh, does that like cut the momentum? Does that like literally, you know, is that a maneuver? Not you know, not it's like a, a planned thing. Although I'm open to it. But is that, you know, does that effectively silence or lose steam out of these movements? Um, Now we're just reopening and suddenly there's all these protests here in the U.S. I'm curious what you can say about France. What do you see as far as the future of a yellow vest movement there and things like that? Okay. Um, Yeah, the the yellow vest movement slowed down uh, after because we are in uh, deconfinement now uh, in France. So... But uh, but the, the 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 movement slowed down. But today there was a uh, march for the immigrants, and uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know I, what what I feel about what's happening in U.S. now. I I'm I'm afraid that it will be happening in France uh, on Tuesday because. Uh, uh, there was this case uh, four years ago uh, of this uh, black uh, man uh, being beaten by uh, the police and all that stuff. And it was big news and it was a huge stuff, huge case. And uh, the the news started to talk about that uh, like uh, yesterday. Uh, it, it's big news like uh, they, they were saying that... Um, uh, the case was was in favor of the cops and all that stuff. So uh, so I, I you wonder why they you know they, they they're pushing it now you know, and uh, people start to to talk about uh, going in the street on Tuesday and all that stuff. So I don't know. I think it's uh, all all, that, all that's happening in uh, in US uh, will revive uh, anger in France. Uh, because we have there in France there is a huge black community and uh, yeah, JJ, and, wait. yeah. Can you just ex- um, uh, explain a little bit more about when the term black is used in France? Actually, what uh, group 
what groups are, are they is that referring to is it muslim immigrants from africa oh, okay when i say black is it... say african people but it's uh, yeah it's uh, also north african people like moroccan nigerian and all that stuff you know all, the, all these um people so um when i say black uh, in france it's more and more um like in like in us you know uh, it wasn't the case 10 years ago but it's more and more uh looking like the us and even even the cops are more um uh, violent with uh, immigrant people so and really really it's, it starts to look like us sadly <laughs> so yeah, is that, I remember about even 20 or 15 years ago, what some of the ardor, I can't pronounce the French word, but it's the term for regions in Paris, ardorosement, arrondissement, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that there were some like outer suburbs where there was a lot of rioting, so-called yeah. rioting. I just uh, put that quote. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit, kind of the history? Because I feel like that had been going around for like 15 years or more. Okay, or yeah, for, so you have, you have Paris, and you have the the suburbs uh, around Paris, and this is where uh, there are a lot of immigrants. So I live in one of these uh, cities uh, around this morning. It's uh, in the south of Paris, and it's one of the most, uh, you know, hot corridors. <laughs> uh, it's uh, you know, you remember uh, during the uh, Charlie Hebdo, they were talking about the no-go zones, and I live basically there <laughs> and it wasn't the case but uh, you know it's uh it's yeah so um there's um um there's a lot of you know immigrants in, in all these um these arrondissements and uh yeah i don't know what to say about that what, what do you want to know i was just curious about like the you know, like in America, there's clear, I mean, this is the, the, the one point I'm making is just like how different all of this is from place to place in a way. Like there's really yeah. a lot to learn about a particular location. And this is kind of why I was, I mean, kind of sort of problematizing the taxonomy before because it, it, it can kind of eviscerate these particularities that are almost essential to understanding the story. But no, I was, in terms of this situation, I was just curious because I feel like you, you had mentioned you feel like it's going to explode on Tuesday, but it didn't four years ago. And I'm just wondering, like, just a little bit of the history of that. Because, like, in America, we have a history that we all are familiar with, with like, yeah. Trayvon Martin, Rodney King. I mean, there's these cycles where this issue has been in the forefront, and it's now coming back again. Um, and I'm just wondering, yeah, like, in Paris, how that works. You know, I mean, I'm just really trying to learn more, really, man. I don't oh. really have, like, that much of a specific question. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I I hope I'm wrong for uh, Tuesday, right? But uh, but uh, I know that people uh, in France are affected by this story uh, in US. And uh, if if you add this French story, uh, I don't know. It's uh, so yeah. It's it. Uh, I don't really know what to say. I'm sorry. I just want to read Guillaume's uh, comment in the chat here. Uh, he said um, he can't speak, yeah. but he is listening. He says, many places have been set on fire multiple times in the suburbs for decades. And basically saying, yeah, there is a, I think, yeah, SJ, what you're trying to get to is that there is a history of, um, in, you know, the same same kind of struggle. Mm. Right? Yeah, um, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what, SJ, you're trying to get at is like, obviously, America, we have... Uh, 
racism is built into the foundation of this country you know we're built on slavery where we you we can't remove that from our conversation but that doesn't mean that it's the uh the only place where this is happening maybe uh sj just to say you, you still have so many friends in hong kong that was that was the third example in my sort of uh conversation here and i do see um we we see this week a number of things uh china and india relations um as really being promoted of like oh there's there's this building conflict here trump instead of addressing the protesters outside the white house addresses just this whole thing where he goes very loudly and actively against you know saying what we need to do about china um all those sorts of things that are happening there uh same sort of question free hong kong what do you see as the as the uh, oh and I'm sorry and just I just want to read Guillaume's sentence here yes uh, you're absolutely right I, I was saying America is, has this long history he says France has a long history of colonialism with Africa still happening in many ways yes of course yeah um, yeah that is that is absolutely right yeah yeah I, I mean that's the point I was making a little bit too Alan is that there is and it's interesting because you see some of the discourse on Twitter about the American protests are saying things like uh, this is a cult the colonial mentality they kind of change the language and make it about this like a, a, a more of a global colonial mentality exploitative mentality that I think broadens the scope away from you know in, in a certain way and I think in a good way because it starts getting at maybe the core of like what's this kernel or this core here um, but yeah I, 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 so that's on the one hand but then the other hand I think it's important to like understand the particular nuance of a given location and a geography and a history because I think like the uh, in, you know and like one example that I just want to throw in here is the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions in South Africa you know this is after apartheid fell they just opened up these official uh, proceedings where people could just come tell their stories and it allowed for that kind of particularization of of that of that his that historical kind of oppression with that historical oppressive act uh, or a set of actions and i think that's really important so um but yeah in hong kong alan i don't know much about it all i can say is when i was in china everybody i talked to when i lived there was always the saying what the govern the government's position i mean I, I i was on the mainland and all the people i knew were mainland and then there was one night and it was actually um new year's so it was as we went into 2020 i was hanging out at a bar and i turned and i, I met this dude from hong kong and he was living in my city and we had like a two-hour conversation his english was really really good um and I understood everything. I, I, I have a much greater understanding of the nuance of that situation. My, my, my sense of what's just happened is that they've moved administratively and legally to, to now can justify further crackdown. But my friend that I had met that night, he told me that it's basically baked in the cake because when they made that deal with the UK, part of the government arrangement they set up was that there's like a council of 1200, but China has the majority in terms of deciding who sits on that council. And so, um, you know, it seems like in that situation, it's more of just a creep um, to, and, and an escalation towards kind of an inevitable outcome in Hong Kong. Whereas I think, and, and there's a whole history there about the history of that, those parts of China versus the, versus Beijing and the history of colonialism actually in Southern China. 
and how that might have. So it's quite complex, but uh, that's just some short, short ideas there on that particular point of Hong Kong. Um, I'm going to throw this back out to um, whoever wants to jump in here. But yeah, I mean, or let me just ask you guys. So if this is a global now, a globally kind of organized resistance movement that seems to be uniting in Europe, in America, maybe in Hong Kong. I mean, is there an opportunity, do you think, for this to become something, I don't know, um, you know, taking on, can it challenge power? Let me just, I'll just throw it, throw it out to you there. Global power, you know, the global power structure. Well, so if, if I could just jump in real quick is to say that's when I was like, hey, let's try and make sure that we, you know, um, as, as the American part of that, we cannot let this, um, the aspect of, of Black Lives Matter needs to be a central, like, again, needs to be a central pillar of that. Um, we can't just be like, oh, cool, now that, you know, white people sat back while their elections were stolen and their money was stolen and as all these people looted everything and now that now that we've got a movement going, cool, we, we got it from here, guys. You know, we can't allow that <laughs> to happen, right? Uh, was, <laughs> does that make sense? Um, I, I, don't want, I don't want to see that happen. But ultimately, SJ, you and I have spoken over the last two months about this, of, again, the, the need for some sort of movement to happen globally, um, globally and locally that is addressing what's going on. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I know I, I'm, I'm concerned that there is we are so polarized that any action here is going to, you know, is going to be butting up against that division. You already see the same fucking people who a week and a half ago were putting up memes saying, you know, the masks are tyrannical and, you know, the Constitution gives us the authority to overthrow the government if it's tyrannical. I've seen fucking 97 white guys posting this shit two weeks ago about, like, it's our constitutional right to overthrow a tyrannical government. And those same motherfuckers are now this week saying these thugs, these thugs are, you know, making a mess. It's like, the fuck? The fuck? How do you, how do you fucking have such cognitive dissonance around this situation? I, I don't get it. But so that's my that's my area of concern. But I I am with you. I I remain incredibly hopeful. And again, maybe how do how do we? The question is not only do we see it, but can can we make it happen? How about that? Like can, can what what role do we have to play, and how how do we nurture some actual change? Um, you, you know, you realize that China has had the biggest protests in the world consistently for a long time. And uh, those protests do not receive any uh, media attention in China, so they sure as shit aren't seen here. I had a friend who would visit China regularly, and he was telling me that, you know, you have so many people. China's mostly countryside, countryside and it's huge. And so there's all of these farmers and all, all these people that, that live out, you know, away from the cities, and they come to the cities to basically work, and they live in, like, basically, essentially closets, and they, they're hunched over all the time building the iPods and I mean iPads and all this stuff and uh, they mess their bodies up so badly that when they try and go back to their regular life um, they're like physically deformed as a result of what they went through even if it's just uh, two years 
you know, it just affects them forever. And so they come out in, in huge numbers and protest and uh, nothing really ever has come of it. Um, that they, the Chinese will make no changes. And so now there's a lot of sides to uh, what happened in Wuhan where they, they, they welded people into their buildings uh, where people starved to death. Is just uh, atrocious stuff, shocking stuff, you know. Um, and then when it comes to their their tracking and everything that they're doing now, and kind of the opportunism that exists around this whole thing, because they had, they were finally getting, you know, they were still, they were having protests, were actually getting global attention, which is like unheard of for China, because usually those protests just fall on completely deaf ears, you know. Um, so, yeah, I don't completely know where I'm going with that, other than that when I hear people saying we need to look to China as, you know, as an example, I'm kind of like, no, this is this is just in terms of the Chinese government. You know, I'm like, I I really I, I'm, I'm not down with in many respects how China has handled any of this, really. Um, just want to say. Yeah, and those is actually in Wuhan was the center of that resistance movement. The people from Wuhan are quite like, um, I guess, I don't know the full history, but they're used to, I guess, being active politically and kind of standing up for themselves. And so that's one narrative I saw on uh, at least reported online was that the coronavirus crackdowns were actually used to purge just political dissidents. And I'll, I'll throw this in right on this point because it's really highly concerning. We've been talking in the last two months about the contact tracing some. I was referring to it like as a technocratic control grid. I was trying to like rephrase that <laughs> to, to, to make it really clear how I feel about this, this term so-called contact tracing. But I just saw a video yesterday. There was a guy saying, oh, we've arrested all the protesters. Is this, this was an official. I don't know what city it was in. I think it might have even been Minneapolis. And he said, we're using the contact we're basically going to analyze their phones. And then he says, even in this press conference, not unlike the COVID situation where we use contact tracing to figure out where these people were from, who they've been speaking to. And so this, this contact tracing uh, new normal is going to, you can see clearly in this situation Absolutely. emerging how it can be applied uh, to go after dissenters. Uh, SJ, I'm curious if maybe we're looking at the same thing. So I saw something which was a like an activist sort of guidebook, um, and it was talking about it was so it was really saying it was talking about agent provocateurs and saying, hey, this was a this is a, a pro activist handbook sort of group and saying, hey, we need to be aware of provocateurs in our midst and to be on the lookout for these things, blah blah blah, and talking about all these, basically saying these white nationalist excel, uh, accelerationists within their midst that are trying to do these actions, basically alt-right white guys breaking shit to try and make it a problem and to, you know, create a reason why you need to crack down and all these sorts of things that we're all fully aware of the potential there, but addressing this as an actual thing. But even in this, they said, hey, we have shared these names you know, with, you know, the people that we're trying to out as these folks, we are trying to, and they, uh, same as the same language, use this contact tracing like methodology uh, was this person's like hope of like, well, the police have said they're going to try and do something like this to see who else is, you know, sort of to weed out these white supremacists within these activists circles 
is and and think about all the sort of layers of of layers there of so the protest the anti-police protesters are going to trust the police to weed out the white supremacists in their group using this contact tracing surveillance it's like that's that's my mind is spinning on that right on how Antifa was protesting to keep the lockdown in place in Hamburg, Germany, kind of on behalf of the state. And I, I don't know the full nuance of that. I just saw one video and some taglines around it. But and, and yeah, you know, it's 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 wild. It's wild. Um, and I just want to throw out here. And this is like David's point earlier. This situation is so volatile. It hits at the this, this, this primal uh, nature of reality, this animalistic side that we have inside of each of us, but then in the herd. And so once that gets unleashed, once that is, you know, let out, it's a, anybody can come in. And I think there's all kinds of groups. I don't even think, I think there's certainly a COINTELPRO, uh, just, just to, to say this quickly, there's a COINTELPRO side, so government's probably involved, but even privately funded groups on, on whether they're, and I think there's certainly the Bugalos is what I saw, Alan, something about the Bugalo group which I guess is more of like a, uh, uh, would be called a right wing or something like this. But I've also seen people talking about the trained so-called black bloc or anarchist types, which I know they're not all formally organized or trained, but I think there's an element of that. And certainly you, would, you could use that as a cover. If you, let's say you were a billionaire trying to reform society or even AI or something like this. So I just want to underscore that point. It's chaos. It's primal chaos at a certain level. And I, I don't think that the contact tracing, yeah, just to, just to say, you know, that seems a very, very dangerous road to go down. Anybody saying let's 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 embrace contact tracing is I think that's highly, highly dangerous. Um, I'm seeing other activists say leave your phone at home, which is good. So, yeah, yeah, uh, that 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 aspect does that spooks the shit out of me. That happened to you. So you for the the 9-11 uh, ground zero. um to put you in a in a small space, Alan, and they came to your place. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that—that's the epitome of that. You experienced it. Yeah, I, I, uh, sure. And that was—I think that was. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, for me, I think that was. I, I feel like I was followed, or 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 like. Yeah, they paid attention to who was there. I went. I went to an event, and it all. It, a lot of my troubles seemed to stem out of this one event. And I was doing. I was doing a bunch of stuff there. But this is so funny to me because um, people talk about like. I, uh, okay, uh, whatever. This is a polarizing s- statement, but this is just my. This experiential is to say that I went, you know, I hung out with libertarians and these sort of extreme right-wing people who were, um, you know, pro-militia, pro-Second Amendment, all these sorts of things. I've hung out with that group, and I did see some some shit around that, for sure. But man, no, no such immediate response as me talking with communists, <laughs> you know, uh, I went, I went to an event, which was uh, about impeaching George Bush. And, um, uh, I was invited to, um, like a communist newspaper, like work group type thing. Um, 
I think I, I think came out of that event, and I went to this um, you know communist newspaper in um, headquarters thing. It was all around that time that that's when people showed up like knock knock at my door. With the right wing stuff, it was a little more like covert. It was a little more ambiguous and um, uh, gang stalking, gaslighting shit. Uh, but left wing activism got me like straight up a knock on the door. <laughs> so that's it's always just like really an interesting um, perspective that I, I can't I can't remove from this situation. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah Go ahead, Ian. What's that? Just quickly there, Alan. I just, I've been reading about COINTELPRO like the last day or two just because I'm looking into the history of that. And that program seems clearly totally directed at what we might call left, left movements of all kinds, left movements for people of color, student groups that will be leftists. So it's there. I mean, that doesn't surprise me that that was your experience that when you got involved in like the, the more left wing styled activism. That, that you felt more targeted. Well, yeah, and, and just to be clear again, so like my, I, I don't, I don't, I, I guess I, I'm would be consider myself at this point left leaning, but I don't, I don't feel like I have a specific ideology that I, even to this day, I don't have a specific sort of group that I feel you know super aligned with. But then it was even less so in the sense of like. For me, I'm like, okay, cool. Who's I'm sort of exploring the on the street options of who is participating and talking to everybody. And I had no problem talking with the communist group, and I had no problem talking with the libertarian group, and all this sort of stuff. So, um, again, it was just an experiential of like, what was what was the what was the government's reaction <laughs> to to me uh, participating with you know or, or or associating with different peoples. Well, get get um, ready for McCarthyism because oh, freaking yeah. Antifa is not an organization, but the organization of Antifa has just been deemed a terrorist organization, and which means you know it's it won't be long you know just you know extrapolating there that it'll be are you now or, or have you ever been affiliated with the antifa organization and so Precisely. and anything that gets pinned to them then you, you yourself are getting pinned to the same thing so i had to tell a, fr a friend of mine a number of years ago who uh, had to go to court over something they're asking they're asking to ask her are you a uh, anarchist and i had to warn her and emphasize to her under no circumstances do you tell these people that you're an anarchist the reason being that you have your own definition of what anarchy means to you. And when they're asking you that question, they have their own definition of what anarchy means to them. And when you say yes, you have then agreed to their, um, to their projection of what it is that they believe that you believe. And so it's an ongoing problem, especially you'll see it online all the time where people do the thing of, oh, so what you're really saying is, and it can go either way. Many times, this is what they're really saying. So you have somebody might be hinting at something and you're like, oh, wait a minute, are you saying you want to fire into crowds of looters with a shotgun? And then certain people are like, no, my God, no, don't misconstrue me. And then some people might even say that, but really that is what they're saying. So you, ne you never really know for sure, you know, in many instances what somebody is really saying or what the, or what they identify with. Cause I would, like I say, I would call myself a liberal. Does that mean that I align with the, the corporate Democrats? Um, 
uh, ideology? Absolutely not. Um, am I am I a progressive? Does that mean I align with everyone who may call themselves progressive just because they have a title and they re- they they claim that that's what they are? I mean, uh, I used to I used to really scoff at the idea of glass grassroots campaigns. And you can say what you want, whether you like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or not. The fact is, is that she got to where she is without having to be, um, you know, uh, subject to special interest groups or anybody. You know, she 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 can she has a freedom to speak her speak her own mind rather than having to kind of bow to these these corporate identities, you know. And, uh, yeah, there's a huge line between anybody that's had to, um, you know, compromise their platform because of any special interest group or anything, you know, it's like that they're no longer a true voice anymore. There's something else. And, you know, like you could see that moment with Stacey Abrams where she was in an interview um, with uh, alongside Joe Biden. And there was like a moment where you could see Joe Biden. It became clear that she was not to be picked for the VP. And uh, you could, I could see this was pointed out by somebody else, but I could, I resonated with it that I could see the regret in her eyes for not taking a stronger position on uh, some of Joe's misconduct stuff in the past. Because now, if she wants to speak against it, now she she's basically painted herself into a corner because everyone will jump on. Well, why didn't you say this when you had you know uh, something to gain from him? And then after she has nothing to gain from him, then it's so it's it's that same old story of of um you know p- political uh, political games that you know you're, it, you're trying to we we require so much integrity to be a um to be a a, a, a democrat that we're because we want to compensate for how extreme things have gotten on the other side that you don't want to play the same game because it just makes you look so bad with even the littlest tinge on your record you know um yeah just to say there, AOC has been criticized, I think, fairly by people on the left for basically selling out to the party structure and keeping her position and her committee appointments and things. But uh, and in order to keep those refusing to criticize Pelosi or the Democratic Party leadership. And I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I don't vote. I'm a non-voter. So I just but I want I want to be clear. I do follow a little bit of that kind of Democratic Party infighting. And it's a good point, though, because she had this kind of appearance of um, of the people, but then seems to be positioning herself to kind of rise up within that establishment structure in a way that will, you know, um, I don't know. I My prediction about her is that she was she's going to be used as kind of a she's going to be exploited uh, and she might not be, even realize it until it's yeah, already taken a certain. Yeah. Or she may realize it now that that's her job is to kind of it's like you 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 know controlled opposition and the the more pure that opposition can appear to be, the better it is ultimately. Right. So and I don't know we'll see what happens with her but I'd really suspect. Right. I guess I'm I'm just arguing that you know when when her uh, it's not so much a matter of her with special interests it's a matter of her part party affiliation and then you you have all these other politics come into play so it's a different it's a different issue with her. Um, but it's that it's that principle of like you know because what happened with JFK you know it was he, they they assumed the mob assumed that he was just completely going to go with the program because of his bootlegging father and all this stuff and you had Frank Sinatra rallying for him and whatnot and then it's like you know oh you're not playing the game oh what what happens to those people you know uh, even if, I mean not to say that he was he was completely you know something else but 
any any amount of not going with the program when you've kind of when it's been um, kind of assumed that you're going to be a be a um, work for us, you know. Not in and any I, I want to I want to give her just um, uh, so some we we here is to say so in a few months ago I'm like well this she's clearly sold out and then I felt like maybe in the last few weeks I saw her you know like may, maybe backpedaling a little bit of being like okay you know what this is like fucked up enough that I need to like you know I I think at the Ultimately, her sort of, I don't know, uh, her upbringing, you know, knowing the people of that neighborhood, knowing that culture, you know, there is a... Of of Queens? Is that where she's from? uh, No, she's actually from uh, uh, North North Manhattan, like Washington Heights. Mm, mm. White Plains, I think. Uh, Okay, go on. Sorry. Um, Yeah, so she... um, well, let's see. She is uh... Westchester County, right? I mean, that's where she. That's the whole thing about her is like, you know, the father. I mean, I don't even want to the AOC yeah. thing. I just, just I didn't this. even mean to just. I I was I was just speaking to grassroots campaigns and the importance of that that I didn't used to appreciate. Once they get in there, though, it's just like any almost any um, anybody that receives a huge public platform, you know, and then especially when you got people around you kissing your ass all the time. You know, and everyone kind of wants something from you one way or another, you know, and with her, it's political. But that happens to anybody who puts themselves in that position, you know, where now they're, they're subject to be exploited in all types of ways, you know. And it's a, I'm sure that's a very difficult thing to navigate or even know how to deal with, because then you 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 get stuck in a certain paradigm and it's hard to stand get out of that. You know, she can't see the forest from the trees from where she's at, I guess. Yeah. And just yeah, I guess I was I was wrong. So I know she's from part. So there's like there's a part where uh, like sort of what Western Bronx and Northern Manhattan overlap, and uh, I was associating her with that uh, the wrong side of that line, but some similar area. Mm-hmm. And anyway, yeah, I mean, um, there's a lot there's a lot that could be said about that person, but just, again, this is this is just one person, and I think what I want to sort of say is like there's this. Again, it's questioning, we have this sort of, uh, what do you want to call this, progressive movement around Bernie Sanders, uh, that sort of, you know, David, I'd be curious to, uh, to hear your take on this. I know you're a, you're a Bernie supporter, um, and it's maybe in a similar way that I am of like, hey, here's someone who's actually trying, I would totally... You know, I, I'm I'm not gonna. This is not my messiah. This is not fucking. No, of anything. course not. But he changed the political discourse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but I <laughs> I respect and appreciate the role this person plays, and I see them as more of an ally than not. Um, so to say, uh, maybe you want to speak to like what happens to all the sort of. There was seemingly there was a legitimate momentum behind Bernie Sanders five months ago where are those people now do you see um i don't know do you see an outlet or a chance for any of that to still have um not not literally in his campaign per se but just like the people who wanted that what i think under normal circumstances what happens is uh 
maybe like this happens every four to eight years there's some outsider candidate comes in like you know ron paul 2008 uh ralph nader in 2000 there's someone that gets elevated enough as this like maybe we split off into a third party and just kind of helps you know but people use the term spoiler but we it's it's pretty clear but you can see oh funny they were really promoting a third a third guy uh you know even uh what's his name um, Ross Perot. So before that, hey, we want to push Clinton in, we promote Ross Perot. Oh, we want to put Bush in, we promote Ralph Nader. Oh, we want to put Obama in, we promote Ron Paul. Oh, we want to push Trump again, we promote Bernie Sanders. Why is it that like every eight years, there's a the third person is suddenly on the other side, right? Well, he, he said it himself in 2015, where, um, and a lot of people have criticized him for it, but I felt like it was a it was a moment of, of total honesty when he was re- when he referred to himself as a sheep herder, and uh, you're like, well, what what does that what does that mean? And he, I think what happened was is Bernie Sanders was well aware that in order for him to campaign and say the things that he was saying, that you know he had to play a certain a, he he knew that he that he didn't actually have the end support of these corporatists, but they needed that what you're describing is that that character that archetype to bring it to a certain point and then we and then it gets flipped and so like you have this certain amount of arrogance like if you ever watched those old uh interviews with soros from the er- early days of the uh primaries in t- 2016 where he was so arrogant in the in terms of like for hillary he's just like we have this in the bag there's no quite you just was so so overly confident and I think part of that was that, you know, he's he's when he looks at somebody like Bernie Sanders from from his power position, he's he's not seeing somebody who we're surely we're not going to let him actually get in there. He's just kind of steering people along before we flip it and give him the candidate of our of our choosing. So basically, we're having our candidates selected for us. And so, like, the fact is, when I see all those donations for Bernie, which, by the way, uh, after he dropped out, all the extra cash went towards humanitarian um, causes. And I looked into them and they're legit. He had like, what, two super PACs that made up like, I forget how much, like 2% of the money that he actually received. But I see all of those donations as votes. So I'm like, if you're going to bother to donate $20 to the Bernie Sanders campaign, that's your that's a voice. And so when you're looking at all the voter fraud and all all the manipulative stuff that goes on uh, with that, like I, this is a huge conversation. I mean, I don't we don't need to necessarily go there completely, but I, I don't know. I, I, w- I would like to point out that d- during those first three caucus votes, you know, of, of this round, you know, it, that was very unexpected. Uh, or supposed to be unexpected that he would he was the first candidate to ever win all three and when the first one happened you know he had people on his campaign that had their own apps to keep track of things and uh they everybody who was involved uh in in political campaigns had to end up agreeing that they wouldn't share their own information like cuz the the first caucus they got called out would that have even have been such would there have been such a um you know, disturbance in the way that that was presented if it wasn't for his people on his campaign being so quick to call things out because of what happened back in 2016. And so, you know, he, he's in a, in a very precarious position um, in order for him to say what he, um, to do what he's doing and to say what he's saying, 
you know, uh, I think there's a lot of sacrifice involved. Like he knows in order to do this, you know, I have to kind of play a certain role, but that, that is a, you know, um, he doesn't actually have, uh, that much, uh, freedom in the midst of that. He has like a certain area that he's allowed to do what he wants to do within, but he knows that if he, if he doesn't compromise to some degree, that that's the end of his whole deal. And so that gets really tricky. I don't think there's any good answer for how to deal with that ultimately. So I don't know. Could I just say a few words here? Because I, I, got an opinion which is just an opinion like assholes right we've all got one but i i think i, I don't and neither does uh, kim jong-un <laughs> but go right ahead um you know i see a scammers that's the term i was using pretty quickly in the campaign in 2015 2016 because i saw the sheepdog is just a complete i think he's a hired hand i mean i and i and this is it's it's not even me i do this is a cr- hard critics on the left that, that also have really criticized Sanders particularly recently because from what I can tell, it appears that his campaign is the, it's the classic uh, Pied Piper strategy where you get people excited but only with the hope that you bring them in to the mainstream. And that's the extent of his job was to have an excitement but then convert that. You know? And so like in 2016 when he started campaigning for Hillary and trying to say vote for Hillary, she's the, she's the one when her record is so diametrically opposed to everything, the principles that he was espousing before that, it just, to me, it smells so, it's just disingenuous and it's actually harmful because it's like this kind of reappropriation of the sentiment that if you didn't have someone like Bernie Sanders, that dissatisfaction would find another outlet. And so it actually um, allows for the continuation of the Republican Party, uh, Democratic Party establishment arm of of the of the oligopoly oligarchic kind of machine to keep surviving it's both things it's both things at once well but 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 what i'm saying is that that i I just i do think i question his motives like i don't believe that and i don't know we can't know but i I, to me it just seems like he would have to know that he's a smart guy like he knows he he does know that and he said that yeah and, and so I, I guess I would just say that I think we would the movement, let's say, and it relates to the riots or the, and the unrest that's happening right now, because I think a lot of people, they went right to CNN because they, I think people are sick of that. They're sick of like being presented with an option that isn't an option, in effect, for their kind of political agency. And right. What would, you, what would was, you do? What would anybody do? When you're when you're basically told you got two options, you're out of the political conversation, or you play the game to some extent, and so it's like we're dealing with a lot of damned if you do, damned if you don't things in our own lives right now. You know where you're like, there's there's so many sides to to these decisions where you're like, okay, well if we do this, then it's at the sacrifice of what, and when we any way you turn, it's another type of sacrifice. Then it becomes like because all these people who are who are looting, you know, it's like or I shouldn't say all these people, but a lot of these people who are who are doing these actions is from a place of scarcity and panic and all all kinds of stuff. You know, it's it's not like when people are are being uh, marginalized and disenfranchised and especially right now when people are so many people are out of work and not everybody's able to get the um, you know, to apply for unemployment and get, and that was entirely Bernie Sanders, by the way, anybody who's getting a six, $600, uh, $600 a week, that's only because of Bernie against five people in the GOP. And if you watch that speech where he's like saying, Hey, you know, you guys, what are you afraid of? That's that some people may get a little more 
than what they normally get. And look what you're doing and po- point, pointing out the fucking heist going on and being like one of the only voices in the whole political scene of the least people that have a platform being able to 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 acknowledge that so he he's been you know allowed to to speak his mind on these things but uh you know it's such a tight ship and they know it's just like alternative media where you know that people aren't that dumb so how best to 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 deal with that what do you do you give them the things that they already know and then you put your energetic twist on it like Alex Jones, you know, you just he here let me us give you back the information that you're already aware of, and then let's put it into the into the arena that we want it within, you know. I just I, I just want to challenge that because I just don't think that one um, that he would not have a platform outside of the corporate platform because of the tools we have, right? He could get on Twitter, like there's other people. He would have a voice. He already has that amount. Right, but he writes followers. bills to get passed. But, That's but the difference. So, like when you look at his health care bill and you look at what the implications would actually be and how much people would actually be paying, people don't usually look at the actual numbers of that. Because first of all, it stops at a million in the chart that people normally look at, but it doesn't stop. It keeps going. So you, his you bill's basically not going to be passed, David. His bill's not going to be passed. And that's my whole point, that he's there <laughs> to prevent his bill from being passed. The bill that he's advocating for is not the bill that the establishment would ever allow. The, the healthcare oligarchs, would ne- that's never going to happen. They're going to go with the Pelosi bill. And Bernie de facto supports Pelosi because he won't criticize. Look at the campaign. He didn't even come out on, on Biden against the best arguments to attack Biden. He wasn't allowed to do that. I mean, if he was serious about going after the establishment, which is, in my opinion, the next um, in line preventing the working poor from actually making gains, it's the Democratic Party establishment that works for the oligarchs. Right. I guess my issue is that I don't I don't look at it as as good guy, bad guy. I look at it as uh, circumstances that people that people are stuck in and trying to to figure out how best to navigate those circumstances. I think it's the same. I mean, I'm not saying good guy, bad guy here. I'm just saying, how do you effectuate the the kind of change that is actually um, the change we need in terms of helping poor people? And I right. don't think that, and so to me, that's, it's, it's purely tactical. I mean, you would want someone there kind of promising you things, and but not criticizing the, the, the next in line that's preventing you from getting the social safety net that you deserve, that we deserve collectively, or the health care that we, you know, that we deserve. So we might have a little bit of disagreements about it. I, I, we don't have to stick on this conversation because I think it's less interesting. Thank you. Yeah, no, but I mean, I, it's, it's, a, it's a really... Um, it's really involved subject and whatever I can share in this conversation isn't going to be, you know, the range of my understanding, you know, it's one of those things where when you're, when you're looking at something so much and so many angles and so many sides of things, and then to try and relay that in a conversation, it's, it's, it's really hard. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and yeah, we can kind of table that. I'd, I'd like to, uh, Alan, you want to jump in here and try to bring this back to something less, less, <laughs> American centric and kind of, um, you know, um, yeah, I, I mean, I want to I, I, I want to have this conversation. I think this is important for us as Americans to have this conversation. I don't know if, how productive it is. We've, we've had, you know, political arguments, whatever. But yeah, I want to take advantage of the fact that we do have uh, an international call here and, and try and make this less specific. Um, 